0: all evening the word of God is going to be preached to us by folks that believe it and practice it we got one of the most influential men in the nation and the world here preached all over the world held revivals all over the world nobody knows revival meetings any more than he knows them because he's been in them all his life in him now more than ever. Thousands and hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people have been saved because of his revival meetings across around the world. We're fortunate to have him here. It took a long time to get him to come to camp, but I'm glad he got in with us. <laughs> And we're glad to have him. Appreciate Many other places pulling for him this week, but we got to pray it, and the Lord sent him here instead of going somewhere else. Because we needed him. We want a revival, and he knows how to talk about things like that. His influence and his ability, consecration and dedication. Thank God for him. We're just glad he's come to share with us what God has shared with him. This is Dr. E.J. Daniels from Orlando, Florida. Most of you have heard him sometime, somewhere, either old television, radio, or personally in meetings. And we're glad he's here to preach to us now. Come on, Dr. Daniels. Thank you very
1: much, Brother Percy. This is my watch. That's the honest truth I've given you. Since I was here, I have lost the central vision left eye, lost it in India some years ago, and I'm not able to see close up. I can see a crowd out there, and by the way, not places, so ladies, if you have a wrinkle, don't worry about coming near me, because I can't tell it. But, and by the way, if I'm supposed to know you, please come up at least a couple of feet so I can recognize you, but I really do have this watch that's to go by. Uh, it could be that you may feel about it like I heard of one uh, Baptist went with a Catholic to his church, and the Catholic to the Baptist to his church, and the Catholic explained to the Baptist all the mass, the ritual, and the stuff that went on the Catholic. So they went to the Baptist church, and the Baptist was explaining to the Catholic all the things going on. And after a while, the preacher got up and pulled out his watch and laid on the pulpit. And the Catholic said, what does that mean? He said, unfortunately, that doesn't mean a thing in the world. (laughs) But uh, I plan for this to mean something because I do not feel that a message has to be eternal in order to have eternal results. I'm honored to be here. Brother Percy was referring to the fact I never got around to last March because I always had commitments, commitments. And I came and I made up my mind, God helping me, I'd never miss another Camp Zion. Well, the devil, I think, worked it out because I get so many adjustments and calls to my schedule, and I have assistants to help me, and they had me scheduled at this very time to be in the Middle East. And then when Brother Percy called me, it suddenly hit me. I said, man, I'm scheduled to be in the Middle East at this time, but I just got to pray, and he's right. God told me to cancel that and send somebody else and be here. I'm sorry I could not be here last night. We were over in Laurel setting up the campaign that we're to have there. And by the way, I found out our treasurer, who was the chairman of our crusade there last June, had a previous engagement. And I wondered, what could be more important than this? I got here and found out that Brother Blackledge is here. (laughs) So I have to agree that's more important. And it's so good to be here. I have told many people that everybody ought to go to Camp Zion at least one time before they go to heaven. And the reason being, because it's so like heaven, they'll be more accustomed to it when we get up there. (laughs) And the second thing, and I mean this, I said to somebody just the other day, one of the leaders of our particular denomination, that if every Southern Baptist and every Baptist, and I think of every pastor of every church, in America could be in Camp Zion just one time and go back home and take the spirit of Camp Zion that we'd have a revival break out in America and I believe that. I come because I want to be blessed. But I ought to tell you another reason that I really feel and I'm sending me this sincerely, the Bible says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And while you and I are receiving these tremendous blessings spiritual Of the power of God in Camp Zion I want you to join me in praying and I mean this I've already been praying already since I got here Lord you tell me what should I do to help this good man carry the burden the load of this tremendous work and I feel that every one of us ought to be praying what sacrifice can we make because he's making a sacrifice all the members of this great church he has are making sacrifices and I feel that every person here should on your knees ask God, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do to help Camp Zion, to be the greater Camp Zion, and to help care the Lord. Pray with me about that, will you? Unless you and I decide that we ought to be blessed in giving as well as receiving. A brother person didn't know I was going to say that. He didn't pay me to. In fact, had I asked him if I could, he said, don't do it. That's the reason to ask him if I could do it. But anyhow... Uh, really, I'm not an after-dinner speaker, because to be honest with you, I ate that wonderful meal today, and I'm just like you are. <laughs> you know I'm a little bit too full for words. And I want you to pray, because after dinner, it's a little easier for you to be a little a uh, little bit, uh, you know, not quite as alert. And I want you to pray that God will help me, because I come here tired from other engagements. We flew out of Laurel this morning, had to wait, left, in the fog list lifted to get here, and I need your prayers. I always need prayer. I do not feel any man ever stands up behind God's sacred desk and preach uh, with any power unless he's anointed by God. Amen. But now that I do not have visual sight, I certainly need God because I have to depend on the Lord to guide me in the scriptures, to guide me in what I say, because I cannot use notes. Frankly, I haven't used them for many years. I used to use notes, but I signed some of them at the bank, and had to pay nearly one of them. (laughs) And I decided that notes are bad things. So I quit using them, and I praise God for that, and I recommend that to you so that in case you lose your eyesight, you won't have to quit preaching. I don't know what you guys do that read your manuscripts. But frankly, pray for me this afternoon as I try to bring a very simple message on the Bible, is it inerrant or... Is it erroneous? You say, why do you speak to a group like, uh, like this, that, on that? Because somebody said the other day, a leader said, I believe he's right, that the battleground today is the Word of God. And that we no longer are fighting the battle of, of which is right about baptism, which is right about grace salvation, which is right about security. The problem even within our own denomination, Southern Baptist, and all of our churches, including the other denominations, is... Is this Bible the inerrant Word of God? And the unfortunate thing is that we have a lot of seminaries teaching our boys, going out to minister in our churches, that the Bible is not the Word of God. And therefore, my brother, you cannot, in my opinion, get anywhere unless you are settled on the authority of this blessed book. And I believe that. And I think it's mighty important that you as a person serving God, whether you're a minister or a layperson, that you need to know that you've got a solid foundation laid for your faith in the excellent Word of God. The Bible claims to be the Word of God. For we read in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, you know the rest of it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is God-breathed. And I believe that with my soul. And yet, today, a lot of people don't. There are three attitudes toward the Word of God today... One of them is the Bible is, in, is, 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 uh, is erroneous. It has many fables, many stories, and you cannot believe what it says about creation. You must believe evolution instead. You cannot believe what it says about many of the places of the Bible because they're just fables. You cannot believe the story of Jonah. It's only a story. In other words, the Bible is not an infallible book, and that's the position of even some so-called preachers. The second position, I think, is more dangerous than that. The Bible is the Word. That is, it contains the Word of God. It's inspired in spots. And most of those birds think God inspired them to pick out the spots. In other words, like a liberal said some years ago, he said, the Bible, I read the Bible like I eat fish. I pick out the bones and throw them away. And there are a lot of folks think that God inspired them to pick out the bones. Listen, brother. They say it contains the Word of God. It's not the infallible Word of God. The third position is what I think the Bible position, I think it's the position of every honest, honorable man of God, every honorable Christian is, it is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. I want you folks to know that I believe this Bible from cover to cover. In fact, I even believe the cover because it says it's a holy Bible. And I even believe that. There are no ifs and ands and buts in the Word of God to me, brother. It is inerrant. It is inspired. It is infallible. Even it is verbally inspired. And I believe with all my soul this Bible is God's book. Now, there are many bu- books that claim to be God's book. I preach in a lot of countries where they have other books, the Koran, and many other books that they claim to be sacred books. How can we know this Bible is indeed the infallible Word of God and it is not full of errors. It is infallible. You can depend on what it says. Well, the Bible invites you and me to reason about it. God says, come, let us reason together. And I don't think that Jesus condemns even doubting Thomas. He simply him, look for the proof. Put your finger in the side, get a little proof about it. And I don't think there's anything wrong in you and me getting some proof of this Bible is the Word of God. What are the evidences of it? You say, I believe it. Well, suppose an atheist, an infidel, or an infidel comes to you and, and starts telling you it's not the Word of God. How are you going to prove? Well, you say, I believe it. That may not be enough to satisfy him. So I want to give you some of the reasons why I believe this Bible is the infallible, inerrant, perfect Word of God. First of all, because of the scientific accuracy of this book. Now, you say, but wait a minute now. The Bible and, and science contradicts each other. Other than not the facts of science, the theories made, brother. There's a lot of difference between fact and theory and science. And if I had time, I could go. Sh- I could show you that the scientists down through the years have all, had all kinds of crazy, cockeyed ideas that were nonsense that they later discovered was nonsense. In my opinion, 50 percent of the so-called scientific accuracies of our day will be tossed out within a hundred years and the folks laugh at them and say, that bunch of dumbbells believe that. And I could give you a lot of these evidences, scientific proof. Now listen, the Bible was not given to, way of, uh, to teach the way the heavens go, but rather the way to go to heaven. And yet, when the Word of God says something about scientific facts, you can believe it's the Word of God. And I just want to give you some of that. I want to make it clear now that I'm not saying that the Bible agrees with all the scientific theories of our day. For instance, the theory of evolution contradicts the book of Genesis. And as far as I'm concerned, it takes a lot more faith to accept that nonsensical theory filled up with a million guessing links guessing that does to believe the Word of God. And personally, I do not think, and you ought to tell your students, that evolution is not, it's not a... Scientific proven fact is but a hypothesis, it's but a theory. They used to talk about the theory of evolution. Now they've gotten bold and decided they just say this the way it happened. Well, who said so? My God said otherwise, and I believe otherwise. As I may have said in Nigeria before now, if we've got one of you smart addicts back there that you know good and well that you've got here by the process of evolution, I am a southern gentleman, and I don't argue with you or anybody else about things that you know more about than I do. And I must confess to you, if you know that your great, great, great grandpappy was a baboon, I'm not going to fuss with you about your grandpappy. But all I've got to tell you is this. Listen, brother. You go ahead and believe your grandpappy was a baboon, but for God's sake, don't plumb your kin folks off on me. I'm positive some of mine hung with a neck, but none of mine hung with the tail. I'm going to tell you something, brother. I believe the Genesis account because it's God's infallible word. Let me just give you some of these scientific accuracies of the Word of God proves it to be true. For instance, it is uh, true as far as, as the astronomy is concerned. And as far as many other the scientific uh, uh, accuracies of our day or theories of our day or positions of our day, for example, you know and I know, for instance, that they, they used to say there was no such place as the of Chaldeans, no such place as Babylon, no such place... At Jericho and the walls and all that. You know that. Well, listen, brother. When the archaeologists have un- unearthed these things, they now found out there Ur- of Chaldees was there. They found out that Babylon was there. I personally, my own eyes, have seen the walls of Jericho. And now as they unearth these things, they find out that the Bible so. Well, that doesn't make me necessarily accept or not accept it. I'm just glad the fools find it found out that's all. But I'm telling you, brother, this Bible is... Every time they unearth something in a scientific realm, it always backs up the Word of God. Every time. There are many other evidences. For example, you know very well, it's a silly thing, that back yonder the day of Columbus, they thought the world was, you know, was was flat. And when Columbus sailed out, they were liable to drop off somewhere. And they believed that. Well, you know what God said way back in Isaiah 40 chapter? He talked about the circle of the earth. Long before scientists, no scientist would have said the earth was round in those days. And if somebody said the earth is a, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a ball, it's round, well, they'd have said, you're nuts. It can't be. And yet God said it way back on in the book of Isaiah. In a book thought to be the oldest book of the Bible, the book of Job, we're told another scientific fact that they did not accept back there. You know they used to believe that the earth rested on the back of a great giant, on the back of a great turtle or some other such series as that. you know what God says in Job 26, 7? He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Who told Job that the earth hung upon nothing? Who told Job that the earth was supported by gravitation? The scientists didn't tell him. God himself inspired him. That's what I believe. And if I could go and give you many other of the proofs in this Bible. For instance, we're reading over the 139th Psalm, 14th verse, that man is made of the dust of the ground. Genesis tells us that. A Dr. Slocum made an, an analysis of dust and the analysis of a human body and found out the same identical 14 chemicals that are in the dust are also in our bodies. And so if you laugh at the fact that God made Adam out of the dust of the earth, listen, friend, you're still dust, that's all. But listen, I'm telling you, this is the Word of God. And then I want to give you just a lot of others, and I'll just sort of highlight some of them. One of them is the fact that there are over 1,000 prophecies in the Word of God. And over 750 of them had been fulfilled to a T. Now you tell me how, if God didn't inspire the writers, that somebody could predict that, for instance, Israel would be scattered over the face of the globe and would be dispersed and yet retain their racial identity and after a long period of centuries, they would be returned to their holy land. Well, the Word of God says that. Nobody else could have told them that. The Bible, for instance, predicted about, as you well know, about Bethlehem, about Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Now, who could have told the people that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, not some other Bethlehem, unless God inspired them? And that's exactly what took place. Now, I keep going on, showing you the prophecies of the Word of God, such as Jesus being buried in a rich man's tomb, and many other truths of the Word of God prophesied centuries before, fulfilled an exact positive T which says to me, brother, that somebody had to inspire those writers, as Second Peter tells us, that these holy men were led of God as the Holy Spirit directed them. Now by the time I go and show you many other actresses of this Bible, the fact that it's proven by scientific evidences that it's God's Word. Somebody comes up to you and tell, says, the Bible and science contradicts each other, therefore you must accept science and not the Word of God. You tell them that's hogwash. The fact about the matter is the Bible... In every instance, it's scientifically accurate when the facts come up to what the Word of God has to say. But I want to tell you, brother, there are many other evidences I could give. For example, I believe that the marvelous unity of this Bible proves it to be God's Word. You think a minute. Suppose I had, say, 40 different writers, or rather, mechanics over 1,600 years to put together a piano. And when finally the piano all came together, every note was in place, everything was accurate it made perfect music up and down the scale anybody that would say that was an accident that evoluted that way would be considered a nim you know it had to have a master mechanic to tell every man what part to make if it's going to fit together suppose this watch i have on my hand here which i unfortunately can't see uh, were made by 40 different mechanics over 1600 years Yet when the watch finally was put together, it perfectly kept time. Every cog fit the right place. Every hand fit the right place. Every dial was at the right position, and it kept perfect time. Somebody stand up and say, that came about the process of evolution. We threw into the air a thousand parts, and they all evolved together and got together and made that watch. You'd say, man, you're insane. You ought to be in the institution somewhere uh, because you're crazy. Yet that's what evolution would have us to believe. But I ought to tell you, brother, this Bible was written by some 40 different writers over some 1,600 years. They were farmers. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They were philosophers. They were just ordinary people. And yet when what they wrote was brought together, it formed one complete whole that told a story from Genesis to Revelation without a single contradiction. Now, some smart modernist liberals say, well, it does contain contradictions. No. The contradictions are in your brain, not in God's book. Now to tell you right now, brother, they're in your interpretation, not in God's inspiration. And if you think the Bible contradicts, it just doesn't prove but one thing. You're just too dumb to understand it. That's all. And if I were you, I wouldn't brag about the contradictions. Most of the so-called contradictions are silly in the first place. Where did Cain get his wife? You ever hear that one? When somebody comes to me and asks me, where did Cain get his wife, I begin to wonder right now if it's not somebody else's wife bothering that guy i'm telling you brother listen the fact about the matter is this bible is contains no errors it's a perfect production and only god could inspire this book to be like that the next thing i want to tell you is the marvelous preservation of this bible proves it to be of god no book has been hated like the bible no other effort no other book has ever had the effort to destroy this bible as the word of god bob Ingersoll, tom Payne, said they were going to block the bible off the face of the globe and yet they're blotted off and the Word of God still stands. A guy by the name of Voltaire was the terror of France, the greatest enemy the Christian people had. And Voltaire went out to destroy the Word of God and said anybody that believed it was a fool tried to block it off the face of the globe. And today, Voltaire's home is the office of a Bible society. My brother, the Bible stands... Forever, these enemies of the Bible are going to go down. If you're one of these liberals and happen to slip in here, God will help you to soon get straightened out. You think you're going to destroy the Bible. Brother, you're not going to destroy the Bible. It's going to destroy you. Listen, this is God's Word. If I had time, I would go and give another evidence. One I want to mention is the power of the Word of God. Brethren, And I would urge you preachers, don't preach fables and don't preach Other theories don't preach anything in your prophet except the Word of God. This Bible is powerful. Man, it's powerful and sharp. Listen, you just proclaim the simple Word of God and see what the Bible does. It'll perform miracles in your church, in your community, in the lives of people. This Bible contains the power, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation that'll get men saved. The truth of this Bible saves folks from their wicked sins. You ever heard somebody say, I was a harlot, and I read, the, I read a book on arithmetic, and it straightened me out, and it got to be a good woman? You ever hear that? No. You ever hear anybody say, I was a drunkard, and I got me a good spelling book, and it got to be a sober man? No, you know better than that, and yet folks have gotten up to say, I was a drunkard, and I read the Word of God, I heard the Word of God, and I got saved. I was a harlot, and I heard the Word of God that made a pure woman out of me. I remember a story of Dwight L. Moody. He took a mission offering one night and got in his horse and buggy and out on the highway he was waylaid or on the road he was waylaid by somebody that robbed him. Knew he took the offering and robbed him of his money. Mr. Moody said, you can have my money but I just want to say one thing before you go. The day may come when you'll regret what you're doing and I want you to know if you do that if you repent of your sins And accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. The blood of God's Son, Jesus, will cleanse you. And God will forgive you and save you. Some 15 or 20 years later, he went to a city. A man came up to him and said, Do you you remember being robbed one night? He said, Yes, I remember that. He said, I'm the robber. Those simple words that you gave me out of the Bible so gripped my heart I never got away from them. And finally I got convicted. I'm saved. Now I'm preaching the Word of God. Now to tell you, about what the Bible will do for you. I heard of a, an African chief, a black man, reading the book. He lived. He was the head of a tribe, a tribe of former cannibal people, ate human flesh. There was a scientist, an English scientist, came along and saw him reading the Bible, began to make fun of him. He said, no intelligent person in England believes that book. It's a book of fables, a book of folklore, and no intelligent person believes it. African chief looked up at him and said, Sir, if we didn't believe that book in this tribe, you'd be in the pot a long time ago. (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, Brother, the Word of God will make decent folks out of cannibals. The Word of God will will bless. It'll save. I've seen this demonstrated in my own humble ministry. I know I'm not a great preacher, but I have had the joy of seeing hundreds of thousands of people saved simply by the preaching of the Word of God. I was down in India about two weeks ago. One night, the last night, we had, of course, big blessings every night. But on the last night, we had some ten to 12,000 Hindu people there. And I just got up and preached the very simple word of God, like you'd preach to a child. And over 3,000 of them professed to be saved that night. And I've gone to Korea, and I've seen as many as 10,000 soldiers in one service that came running down the aisle to accept Jesus Christ at the proclamation of the simple word of God. What I'm trying to tell you is, folks, this book has power. This book has power. This book has power. No other book has that power. Nobody's book, I don't care how great the author is, has ever made decent women out of harlots, sober men out of drunkards, honest men out of thieves, and brought happiness to homes. But I ought to tell you something else. This book will bring comfort in the hour of me, in the hour of trial. If these other books are just this book is an ordinary book. Why don't they get up and read somebody else's book at a funeral? When a man is faced with a loved one in a casket in front of him, there's just one thing that will bring comfort, the Word of God. The minister stands up and begins, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, but he's also in me. And troubled hearts out there are blessed for that. And I want to tell you something, folks. This Bible has power. I want to beg you to believe it, to preach it, to practice it, because you hear me now, if this is God's Word, if it's God's infallible Word, it ought to have preeminence in our lives. Now I'm going to tell you what breaks my heart. A lot of folks like you, godly, wonderful, sweet, wonderful people, will come to a conference like this and, Amen, Amen, it's the Word of God. Then go home and neglect it. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? If you're looking at this one-eyed monster smell-a-vision, more than you're studying the Word of God, you're a sinner. And some of you women out there are sitting around in the afternoon looking at one of your soap operas and sobbing while somebody runs off of some woman, some woman's husband, some girl gets pregnant, and you sit out there and enjoy that soap opera stuff and neglect the Word of God, sister. You are sinning. I'm going to tell you right now, brother, we're neglecting the book the trouble is we claim to believe it but we don't study it we don't read it we don't love it there's an ignorance of the Word of God I sometimes tell a story and this is said to be a true I do whether it was or not a pastor went to a church and he wondered how much Bible was taught in his church so he got him a little junior boy and said son can you tell me who tore down the walls of Jericho the little boy began to cry he's a preacher I found, you've done found out about me. I know I've been a bad boy and I've been in juvenile court and I've been in a, in a juvenile home and I know I've done lots of bad things, preacher, but preacher, so help me God, I didn't tear down the walls of Jericho. <laughs> he said, my heavens, what kind of a teacher this boy have?" So he went to the little boy's teacher and told him what Junior said. She said, now, pastor, it is true that that little boy has been in lots of trouble, but I want to tell you one thing about that little fella, I've never caught him in a lie. That little boy tells you he did not tear down the walls of Jericho, I believe it. (laughs) He went to the superintendent, told the superintendent what I've just told you. The superintendent said, now look, I've got a big Sunday school with lots of teachers, and I do not know all my pupils, but I know that teacher. He's one of the finest Sunday school teachers we have. And if she says, Junior did not tear down the walls of Jericho, I'll take her side. So he called the deacons together. Decided he'd see something about it. He got up and told him what I've just told you. He hardly got to tell him what I've told you till a young deacon jumped up and said, let's get one thing straight, preacher. We don't believe in stirring up trouble. I make a motion. We pass the hat, take up a collection, Rebuild the walls of Jericho, forget who tore them down. Now, let me, give you, let me give you the sequel to that. Are you listening? I have told that story in place after place when folks would call the church or the crusade office and say, You know, Brother Daniels left us in the dark. He never did tell us who tore down the walls of Jericho. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, we're neglecting the word of God. I'm afraid, my brother, the trouble is that we're letting worldliness and other things take the place of God's book. Now to say something to you pastors. If your church has a wonderful athletic program, you win all the softball teams, all the softball meets, all the tennis meets, all the swim meets, everything else. And you think you're doing a hot shot job. And your folks are eager to the word of God. Brother, you are a misfit and a disgrace to God. And I'm telling you right now, i stand up there and tell my people the word of God. Keep your people on the book. And you say, you know, we got to we got to help, we gotta hold our young folks. That's a bunch of hogwash, too. I have great crowds of young people in my campaigns, and I don't do it by entertainment or by compromise, just give them the word of God, that's all. Because our young people are not a bunch of fools. I actually heard Some other day, i tell you, I love rock and roll music just about like I love rattlesnakes. And I think any church that brings that trash in ought to be kicked in seat see the pants. Somebody said to me, you're wrong. You've got to have rock and roll music to hold the young folks. I said, that's a lie. I ought to tell you something, folks. It isn't right to do wrong to get a chance to do right anyhow. And even if it's the way to hold them, I'd say, Lord, If I can't hold them with the Word of God and with truth, I'm not going to compromise the works of the devil to do it. But I ought to tell you something, folks. You feed your people the Word of God. Pastors I know that are having great crowds and doing great works when souls are the ones preaching the book. Now, why aren't we studying the Word of God? One is because we don't love the author of the book. Some years ago, I had an aunt whose husband died when she was about 65. They tell us, they laugh about puppy love. Kids, you don't have puppy love. I got some news from you. The puppies that act the fool, not the little puppies, the old puppies, the old dogs. And Aunt Addie fell in love with a man, she said. My wife and I went down there to visit her in the bend of the Caloosahatchee River near Fort Myers. And that night, she hardly we hardly got to bed. She came out and said, children, uh, it's a little warm in my room. I'd like to come out here. What's cool? And I soon found out what was warm she put us to sleep talking about Charlie 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 it's all you hear about Charlie the next day we went I'd never seen the ocean out from Mort Myers and we went to the post office and she picked up a letter and before God she wouldn't move till she read that letter went out there to the ocean and I said Andy don't you want to walk with us down the ocean no children I just sit here I knew what you want to do And we went out and looked back She was reading that letter we later had a flat tire, and while the tire was being changed, she was reading that letter. What was wrong? She thought she was in love with the man. And therefore, she read, she read, she read. I wonder, my friends, if God one day won't judge us for not loving him because we don't read his word. If I wrote my wife 66 letters, and I told her in the letters how much I loved her, and I was going away to build her a nice home, I was going to come back and get her, and I got back for her and found out she had hardly opened the letters, I think I'd just say, forget it. There'd be a lot of smacking around my house. It might not be the lips either. I wrote her letters. I told her I loved her. I told her what I want her to know. And she hardly opened the letters to read it. What am I illustrating? The way many of us treat God's holy word. I'm telling you, my brethren, you don't have to commit adultery. You don't have to, you don't have to rob banks. You don't have to go out and kill somebody to be a seller. All you have to do is to neglect the Word of God. Now, to tell you this is God's Word. If it's God's Word, you ought to love it. You ought to study it. You ought to believe it. You ought to practice it as the Word of God. Let you and I dedicate ourselves to starting a revival around the one thing that will start a revival, the Word of God. God hasn't promised to bless anything else, preachers. God hasn't promised to bless your cute stories. God hasn't promised to bless your beautiful eloquence or what kind of clothes you wear. God's blessed, promised to bless one thing, the Holy Word. Let's believe it. Let's love it. Now to tell you with all my soul, I believe it's the inerrant Word of God. And for 53 years I've loved it and preached it. Now to tell you folks, it's the one secret of my humble ministry. People that don't believe the Word of God destroy churches. I'll give you one illustration, in Close. There was a fellow that's been in this pulpit, pastor of the Broadway Baptist Church of Knoxville, Tennessee. He had 1,200, 1,400 Sunday school. He believed the Word of God. After he left there, they called a man. How in the name of God they do that? I don't know. Churches do some silly things. They called a liberal who did not believe the Word of God. And he took that great church down to 200 a week in Sunday school. All I'm trying to say is liberalism kill. I want you to join me in praying for our seminaries and our colleges and places that destroy the faith of our young people. I was in the Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky where LaBert Butler's pastor a few weeks ago and after preaching that night commending them on having a Bible-believing pastor a young man came up to me afterwards and said, Brother Daniels, i rather think and I hope he's wrong. He said, but you know, Brother Daniels there are only two professors in our seminary that really believe the Word of God. One is Romans, and by the way, his brother-in-law is here today. He's my assistant, Brother Morris. Visiting with me here who's doing, since I can't see, helping research and doing a lot of work to help me. Another man, he said, a Roberts, his assistant. They're the only two men. I hope he's wrong. Yet, my brother, it's pretty evident to me from talking to a lot of young preachers that many of our seminaries are sending our boys out with a faith in the Word of God. destroyed. Not That's wrong. You and I ought to pray about it and do something about it. What bothers me in my own denomination is the fact that when a bunch of liberals will get up and try to fight the folks that want to stand up for the Word of God, they call them moderates. That's a lie. They're not liberals. They're not moderates. They're a rotten bunch of liberals, brother. As far as I'm concerned, they're rotten as the devil. You can like me or not like me. See one good thing about this, brother Percy. You don't have to pay me for my preaching. And so if you don't like it, you don't have to pay for it. But I'm just saying, folks, this is God's Word. Love it. Study it. Obey it. Because cost to say you believe it and then disobey it is hypocritical. God bless you. I wanted to say to Brother Percy, don't put me on right after lunch. I just got here. Let me sort of get ready to preach, and so you pray for me. If he ever gives me another chance, I'll do better. God bless you. I love you very much, Brother Percy.
0: Thank you. All right, would you stand, please, and turn in your hymn books to 400.